I'm, I'm Greg. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and I want to say hi to all of you. It's good to see you all together, uh, come together and worship God. Um, this is just what we do. Uh, you really don't go to church. We are the church. We just gather together uh, to worship God together and then to get some teaching and um, worship God with all of our heart and worship God with all of our mind. And so now we're going into the mind part. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. Yeah, yeah. Word of knowledge there. Right? You're just so in touch with it. Book of Luke, chapter 2. What we do here at the church, if you're visiting, is, is um, it's nothing fancy at all. We just uh, worship God with all of our heart and then worship God with our minds by applying them to the, to the Word. And we're just going through the book of Luke, verse by verse. And um, uh, just kind of pick it apart here. As you're turning there, I'll kind of set this up. I'm going to title this message, Holding the Hope. Holding the Hope. And uh, it kind of arises out of this, or it arises out of the text, but here's kind of what's on my mind as I'm going into it. Uh, a couple uh, nights ago, I was watching a man enough, I can admit this. Uh, I'm secure, uh, but I was watching Oprah Winfrey. I, I like Oprah. I'm sorry, I like Oprah. All the guys in this church think I'm a sissy boy. I don't hunt, I don't really go for sports, and I like Oprah. What's wrong with me? But... Uh, and, and on this particular Oprah uh, episode, she was interviewing this guy who was like one of the leaders or experts in world health stuff, and he was talking about uh, the bird flu. Last service, I called it the aviation flu, which apparently is... <laughs> it's running rampant on planes all over the place. <laughs> Avian flu, is that it? Well, it, it, and he was sounding rather apocalyptic. I mean, you know, they, uh, it kills half the people that, contract, can, uh, that come in contact with it, who, who contract it. Uh, if it, It's trying. I believe that all viruses are ultimately of the devil, and there's a sinister quality to them. And this, this particular virus is trying to figure out. It's morphing in different ways, trying to figure out how can we be spread from humans to humans. Uh, right now, it just goes from birds to humans, and there's already like a hundred and some people over in Europe that have died from it. Uh, but if it gets uh, to be spread from human to human, they're saying that within six days, the entire globe will be contaminated. Um, and we don't know how many people will contract it, but about over half of the people who contract it die from it. It's, it's, it's a variation of the Spanish flu virus, which came out in 1918 and killed like 50 million people. So they're working frantically to, you know, produce more uh, vaccinations for it, uh, this Tamiflu. Uh, but as it is right now, if, if it were to uh, mutate to the, way, to the point where it could be transmitted from human to human today, uh, we only have enough Tamiflu for a, a fraction of the people that would contract it. Like in uh, the U.S., we have enough for 2 million vaccinations, but they estimate that over 100 million people would contract this, and half the people who get it die. God bless you. Have a good day. <laughs> we're all going to die. So we're watching this, and it's rather apocalyptic. And believe me, I don't get bent out of shape about these sorts of things. You know, most of the time it's just hysteria, Y2K and all that kind of stuff. But this one is of some concern. And we're watching this episode, and my son, who's wound rather tightly, he's freaking out of this. It's like, oh my, we're going to die. And he starts like, I want some, we got to get our Tamiflu. I want my Tamiflu. I'm too young to die and whatnot. And see, the, my point is this, and, and the message today addresses this. Uh, that is certainly something to be concerned with. But for a good number of people, it sort of sends you into a panic. Maybe you never heard of it, and right now you're in a state of panic. Uh, like, I never heard about this. Uh, and it could strike any time. Um, and, 
That's the wonderful thing about it. But if it's not bird flu, it's global warming, you know, that's going to, you know, the, the, the coastal line is going to be underwater here in short order. If it's not, you know, global warming, it's the fact that North Korea's got nuclear capabilities and Iran's trying to get nu nu nuclear capabilities and Pakistan's already got nuclear capabilities and, and, and who knows when the next hurricane or tsunami or earthquake's going to hit. And, you know, there's just a lot of things in this world to be afraid of. And if you are a person who tends to live in, to some degree, anxiety over those things, I want you to really pay attention to this message. And if it's not global stuff, maybe it's your own future. Maybe it's, how am I going to survive since I got laid off from my job? Pay attention to this. Uh, this is a, uh, an important word for us. Luke chapter 2, uh, well, we're going to move ahead three whole verses today. We, we've been on a roll here. Chapter 2, starting with verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was a righteous and devout man. Here's why. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Pay attention to that phrase, consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Those are the two things we're going to talk about today. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to, to do to him what the custom of the law required, we talked about that last week, they dedicated the child to the Lord and then offered up a sacrifice. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. Uh, that just means the one who's in control. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon's saying, now I've got peace and I'm ready to die. You've answered your promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Praise God. This is the word of God for us this morning. I want to pray for this message. Uh, but I also want to pray for a couple other things. We are kingdom people, and God's given us authority to change the world through the power of prayer. Let's use it for a few moments. Could we stand one more time? Uh, if you can stand and join hands with the person next to you. Now, if, you, if there are people who can't stand, they're in wheelchairs or whatever, pay attention to them and grab hold of their hand. If they're not able to give your hand, maybe just put your hand on their shoulder. But let's join together. God weaves us together as a body to accomplish the mission he's given to us through the power of prayer. So just agree with me in your heart and in your, your, your mind as I'm leading us in prayer. Just be saying amen to what I'm praying here. So Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, God, with gratitude and thanks for uh, saving us, as we just sang about, uh, Lord, for building the kingdom in our hearts and minds and for giving us uh, an authority to work with you to change the world, to bring about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And now, Lord, we want to cash in some of the chips we have as kingdom people. Uh, Lord, we pray for the person on our right whose hand we're holding. We pray, Lord God, that you would, Lord, open up their mind and heart to receive this word. Lord, give it your authority to change their life in any way their life needs to be changed. And Father, if there's any element of anxiety or fear in their life, we pray, Lord, that you, by the power of the Spirit using this word, would drive out that fear and that anxiety in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray blessing on them in every way. Lord, bless their relationships, their relationships with their friends, their relationship with their co-workers if they have a job, their, their marriage relationships if they're married, Lord, the relationship with their children if they have children. We just pray kingdom shalom, kingdom peace on every area of their life, Lord God. 
Fill them with a spirit of forgiveness to let go of any, of, of any uh, anger or bitterness they might have in any of these relationships, Lord. And Father, we now pray for the person on our left. We pray, Lord God, that you would open up their minds and their hearts to receive your word gladly this morning. We pray, Lord God, that it would uh, find fertile soil to begin to bear fruit in their life. And if there's any fear or anxiety in their life, we pray, Lord God, that you, by the power of the Spirit, using this word, would just drive out that fear. For you have not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a calm mind, Lord God. Just let your peace rest upon them. And we pray for all of their relationships with their friends, with their workers if they're employed, Lord, with their neighbors, Lord God, with their spouse if they're married, and with their children if they're parents, Lord. And we just pray tremendous blessing on all those relationships. And Lord God, if there's any tension or anger or bitterness there, and if the enemy is having any, any inroads in those relationships, we come against it in Jesus' name. And we do warfare on behalf of this precious person whose hand we're holding. And we pray, Lord, that you would just bring peace and forgiveness and love in all of those relationships, Lord God. Kingdomize everything about them. And Lord, both for the person on, on our right and our person on our left, we pray uh, blessing on them in, in their finances, Lord God, and in their homes, Lord God, if they have homes, Lord God. And we just pray protection on them, and Lord God, wrap your arms around them and love on them. And then, Lord God, we right now together join in praying for, the, the, for our children who are in children's church right now. We pray, Lord God, you just anoint the teachers and the ministers over there in a powerful way to communicate the word in a way that can be understood by these kids. And Lord, just be building the kingdom in our little children's hearts, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And we pray for our youth, Lord, right now, this moment, we pray that fire would descend from heaven and just fill those kids with a fire and a love for you that you'd raise up a mighty army, Lord God, and anoint, Lord God, the ministers over there, the teachers, Lord God, and, and other workers there, Lord God, to give them a love, a profound love, and, and, and a capacity to reach out to the heart of our, our young people, Lord God. And now, Lord, as your word goes forward, let your spirit just saturate this place with your word, with your peace, with your power, with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Wonderful. God bless you. You may be seated. I hope you realize that the Bible says, James chapter 5, that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And whether you see evidence of it or not, usually we don't, but you got to know every time you pray, you leave the world a little more kingdomized than it was before. The person on your right and the person on your left. This isn't, isn't it like a religious thing we're doing here. You really improve their lives. Now, they may not know it. Uh, you know, you may not see any evidence of it. But uh, on, on the authority of the word, I can promise you that you've just helped them. And, um, and this is why we need to be doing this. We need to be doing this. That's why I encourage people to take the bulletin. If this is your spiritual body, take the bulletin and take it home and maybe put it on your refrigerator and go read through that bulletin prayerfully and cover all the areas in prayer because all those prayer, all that prayer makes a difference. Uh, just know that it changes the world. Okay, to understand this passage, as is the case with many passages in the Bible, we need to do a little history. Uh, you need to understand it in its original historical context and kind of get in the background. So we're going to do a little of that here at the front end of this message. Simeon was waiting for what is called the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Here's the background. Uh, in the Old Testament, God worked with a strategy of sort of immediate punishment and rewards, kind of like we do with children. Uh, you know, you want to give a cookie real early on, uh, you know, when they do a good behavior, and punishment real early on when they do a bad behavior, because you want to, you know, teach them to walk in good behavior. 
Uh, here in the Old Testament, at really sort of the infant stage of, of human development, as it were, God worked with the strategy of immediate punishments and rewards. He's just told his kids, look, if you walk with me, I'm going to give you all these material blessings. Your crops are going to be good and all of that. If you don't walk with me, it's not going to go good and things aren't going to go well. But he promised them that he would be working with them and someday they would learn to be a covenant people and he would bless them outrageously and use them to minister to the rest of the world. Now, they never really attained that status. Paul seems to indicate in Romans 11 that someday they will, but, but in the Old Testament, they never really attained that status. The closest they ever got was under the reign of David. David uh, was sort of the heyday of, of, of Israel's relationship with God. Uh, that was as close as they got to attaining that ideal under the reign of David, roughly at 1000 B.C., after David, things began to decay rather quickly for a lot of reasons. You can read about it in the Old Testament. In 922, there was sort of a civil war where the north uh, and the south were divided. In 722, because Israel was weakened because of this divided state, the Assyrians uh, attacked and, and the northern kingdom uh, came under bondage to Assyria. In 587, the Babylonians attacked and uh, uh, took the southern kingdom into, into bondage. And Israel never again, up until 1947, they never uh, again were a sovereign nation. They were always under someone's authority. Uh, a couple hundred years later, Alexander the Great, in his conquest to conquer the whole world, he conquered this area, and so they came under uh, Greek rule. And that e evolved into uh, Roman rule. And that's where things were when Simeon is, when this passage is occurring, when Jesus is born and Simeon is, is uh, praying over Jesus. They're under a very oppressive Roman rule. Um, and this was, to the, to the Jews, a real intolerable state, partly because the Roman rule was, was, was pretty harsh. Things weren't pleasant for the Jews much of the time under Roman rule, but also because as the people of God, um, it, it seemed a contradiction for the people who know the true God to be in bondage to the people who don't. And... Uh, uh, this really, this, this really uh, uh, eroded some people's faith, and it, it was just an intolerable situation. Now, from the start of this decay, after the reign of King David, God began to give another promise. And the promise was, though things are going from bad to worse right now, someday, he says, I'm not, I, I, did, I haven't forgotten that first promise, I will restore you. One way or another, sooner or later, I will restore you. I will console you. And this is why this came to be known as the day of consolation, the consolation of Israel. It was the time when God would reunite Israel. It was the time when, when, when God would restore Israel as a sovereign nation, a time when he would uh, teach them his ways. Uh, it was the time when, when he would alleviate their sufferings and the promised blessings would come true. It was a time when, when, when God said he would vindicate himself. He would prove that, in fact, he is the one true God by bringing them out of bondage to people who don't know the, the, the true God. This, the, it was called the consolation of Israel. You read about it a lot in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. The consolation of Israel. Another aspect of this consolation of Israel is that God promised them that when this happens, they would finally fulfill the mission that God had raised them up to fulfill. God never called out Israel to be sort of a special little bless me club that he loves them more than the rest of the world and, or whatnot. They were called to be servants of the world and God wanted to use them to reach the whole world and to win the whole world to allegiance to Yahweh. 
That's right why when, when God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is, is uh, all of Israel is descendants from Abraham. And when God calls Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation, but I'm going to make you a father of many nations. In fact, he says in verse 3 of chapter 12, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. God's heart is always for all the nations. He just wanted to raise up a people that he would use to be priests, to mediate uh, the truth uh, to these other uh, nations. Israel had never done that. But on this day of consolation, the Lord says, when consolation comes, then you will attain your glory by fulfilling your mission to the world. That's why Simeon says in the passage that we read, he says, now my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm ready to die. I'm in peace because I've seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations. God's always been interested in all the nations. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. It'll be a glory to Israel because they have the honor of being used to bring the salvation to the rest of the nations. See how that works? Another piece of history that we need to understand, and that is this. That day of consolation was always associated with a Messiah. The Messiah, it just means the anointed one. The word Christ is the Greek version of this. It means the anointed one. Some people mistakenly think that Jesus Christ, that Christ is sort of the last, his last name. Like Greg Boyd, you have Jesus Christ. But that's not the case. Christ simply is his title. He's the anointed one. And throughout the Old Testament, with increasing clarity, um, you have the, the association of this day of restoration and the day of salvation to, the, uh, uh, to the, the whole earth was associated with the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one. That's why Simeon says, now I've seen the Lord's Messiah. Another piece we need to understand is this. The relationship between the Jews and the pagans who ruled the Jews was never a happy one, but it was especially tense in the first century, in the century leading up to the time of Christ and then during, during the, the, the time where, where Christ lived. Um, there was tremendous hostility growing between the Romans and the Jews. Uh, we know from Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, that in 6 AD, uh, a lot of Jews refused to pay their taxes and actually had a revolt because uh, they didn't want to be paying taxes to these pagans. And so the, Jews de- or the Romans decided to flex their muscle and they came in and they slaughtered 20,000 Jews, crucified 20,000 Jews, just to kind of make a point, you don't want to mess with us. You go our way or, you know, we'll put you to death. And that, of course, caused tremendous anger and, and, and animosity on the part of the Jews towards the Romans. That's the situation we're in in the first century. Jesus is born into that really uh, toxic sort of envi- environment. And things continue to go from bad to worse. It was hard for people to hold out hope of the consolation, this restoration, this salvation in a situation like that. I mean, for 800 years, actually longer than that, God had been giving these promises about consolation and restoration, and he's going to reunite Israel and all of that. But all the while he's making the promises, things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And they're about as bad as you can imagine uh, right here in the first century, although they're actually going to get a little bit worse than that. But in this situation, some people just gave up uh, on, on, on holding out hope, like a lot of people do today. 
Uh, some people, some of the Jews just said, you know what, we're just going to live for the here and now. Uh, we're tired of being disappointed. The best we can do is sort of create a little oasis of comfort for our lives, try to get along with the Romans, uh, you know, just try to live as good a life as we can live. And so they kind of bury their head in the sand, don't want to you know, pay attention to the external world, quit giving up hope, and in despair they just live shallow, secular lives. That's what some Jews did at this time. Other Jews... Um, got tired of waiting and so they thought they'd sort of help God out or force God's hand and so they wanted to by by the the power of the sword or by any means possible try to restore Israel to its state of sovereignty and get out of Roman rule and so they their religious faith became associated with with a policy or a program or a party or an agenda a nationalistic agenda a military uh, and their religion, and that's where their hope lies. And, and, and they picked up the sword when necessary to try to overthrow the Roman government, believing that if they just sort of forced God's hand, God would help them gain this military victory. Now, neither of those options were God's will. God wanted people to be looking for the consolation, but not giving up on it and burying their head in the sand, nor picking up the sword to try to force it to come about, but rather to do what Simeon did. And this is why the Bible says that Simeon was a devout man. He waited, he, he anticipated, he held out hope for the consolation of Israel. This promised day of, of, of uh, restoration. Um, and, and that's why this passage portrays him as something of a hero. That's why he was invited to play a role in the inauguration of the kingdom, the inauguration of this consolation. He was invited to come into the temple and participate in all these things. I want us to notice one more thing about this passage. The Holy Spirit had uh, promised uh, Simeon that he would not die until he saw the, the, this day of consolation. And the Holy Spirit led him into the temple and um, uh, you know, showed him the, the, the Christ child. And, uh, and it was revealed to him that this is the one that was promised. And Simeon sees this as a fulfillment of the promise that was, was uh, 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 given to him. Um, this was the, the, the time when he saw that the promise was being fulfilled. This was uh, the, the answer to his prayer. That's why he says here, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Now I'm at peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now here's the question I want to ask. How could Simeon have believed that this was the answer to his prayer? Because Israel was not consoled in Simeon's lifetime. And the world certainly was not saved as a, as, as a planet in Simeon's lifetime. In fact, shortly after Simeon lived, things went from bad to worse. Um, in 70 AD, the, the, the Romans came in again and completely crushed the Jews. There was another uprising, and so there was a four-year war ended in 70 AD when they kicked the Jews out of Jerusalem, slaughtered, just massacred tons, and, and tore down the temple. Where's the consolation of Israel? How could Simeon say, now I've seen the consolation of Israel? Israel wasn't consoled. And then for 1,900 years, they didn't have a nation. They had to wander about the world as vagabonds. And then the Second World War happened, and Hitler rose to power, and, the, and the, six million died in the Holocaust. Where's the consolation of Israel? Where's the salvation of the earth? How is it possible for Simeon to say that the promise has been fulfilled? And the only answer you can come up with is this. Simeon had peace in his heart and believed the promise was fulfilled, not because he actually saw the consolation of Israel and the salvation of the world, but rather because 
he saw the one who was to bring the consolation of Israel and the salvation of the world. He saw the answer to the prayer in a proleptic way, in, 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 in a, uh, a mustard seed way. And see, that's why it seems to me that, that Simeon is in a very similar situation to, to where we're at. Simeon held the hope. The hope of the world was in his arms. The promise of, consol of consolation was in his arms. And that's exactly where I think we're at. We see the Messiah. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the promised one in the Old Testament. I've got all the reasons in the world for believing that. His resurrection from the dead, the way he fulfills prophecy. History proves to me that Jesus Christ is in fact the Messiah, the bringer of consolation. But I don't see and you don't see the consolation of Israel and the salvation of the world. In fact, waiting for that consolation is no easier today than it was back then. If anything, it's harder because we've had 2,000 more years of waiting. And it's easy to look at this world and to ask the question that Jews in the first century were asking, where's the consolation? Where is the, the, the fulfillment of the promise? Uh, it doesn't look like the world's getting any better. It doesn't look like we're moving towards the kingdom. If anything, it looks like we're going in the opposite direction. It's easy to get cynical. It's easy to get pessimistic when you look at this world. In fact, there was a, a study that was done, a, a, a giant poll that was taken in 2004 of 19 first world countries and kind of their perception of, of where history is going. And two out of three people uh, throughout these countries uh, believe that the world was getting worse. Uh, things are going downhill. One of the few exceptions, and this surprised me, the most optimistic country in the world is China. You know, 60% of Chinese believe the world was, is, is getting better. But on the whole, there's widespread cynicism. There's widespread pessimism, especially in America. And you can see why. There's so many things to fear, uh, so many things that seem so negative. Um, you know, we've got the constant threat of terrorism. You know, it's, uh, we don't, it's really not a question of if they're going to strike. It's a question of when they're going to strike and, and, and how they're going to strike and how many people are going to kill when they strike. And then once in a while, they'll you know, kind of release another videotape just to remind us that, that they're still out there and, and they're going to strike at any time. And that's why they're called terrorists is because they strike terror in people. And, and to some degree, among some people, it works. It's like just that, in, in, that, that, that uh, the, the unknown, when, where, how, uh, they, they have unprecedented uh, security now at the Super Bowl this afternoon. I saw uh, that in the news last night, that they're just incredible security, like a presidential inauguration, because they're thinking the terrorists, terrorists might strike here, and you know, bin Laden recently gave a, a, a renewed threat. Well, that does something to your psyche when it's like, I don't know when, I don't know how, but some, you know, gosh, there might be another plane that's going to drive into a building. And then you see these gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching videos of hostages on the television and they're pleading for their lives. And I don't know what that does to you, but there's a part of me that could easily go into sort of a hopeless state when I see stuff like that. It's, it's oh, it, it, just, it just wrecks you, you know? And this sort of barbarism has been going on throughout history, of course. History is largely a history of carnage. But the difference is that because of satellite and television, we have it in our living rooms on a daily basis, and it does something to your brain when you see that, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it, it, just, it, it can easily breed cynicism and pessimism and, and, and hopelessness. 
And then you hear, as I said before, that, you know, uh, Iran now is trying to get nuclear capabilities and North Korea is getting nuclear capabilities and Pakistan's already got nuclear capabilities and some are arguing that some elements of the Pakistanian government are sympathetic to the terrorists, possibly. And, and what would happen if the terrorists ever get nuclear capacities? Well, we're talking the apocalypse right now, folks. And, and uh, then you got corruption all over the place in government, including the U.S. government. Man, we got scandals. Uh, all over the place, and that doesn't increase your optimism about anything. Uh, and then you've got continual tribal warfare in Africa. You hear about it in the Sudan. You hear about it in Rwanda. And, of course, this has been going on for a long time. But now, because of satellite and television, we have it in our living rooms. And we can actually see these little kids walking with their arms cut off because of the civil wars that are going on. It's just barbaric, and it just can really erode your heart and your mind. You can become cynical and fearful and terrified of the whole thing. And add to the whole mix... Uh, you know, the bird flu, and, and add to the mix, global warming, and add to the mix, AIDS, and all these things, and you can begin to understand how people can get cynical, and you begin to ask the question, where's the consolation, where's the kingdom, what exactly did Jesus accomplish, because it doesn't seem to be bearing a whole lot of tangible evidence. And it may be, in fact, that the world is getting better, but our perception of it, because of the television and whatever, it just seems like it's getting worse, and there's widespread pessimism. And in a world like this that is so scary, that can be so negative, people today do what a lot of Jews did in, the, in, in, in Jesus' day. Some people, including a lot of Christians, just say, well, you know what, uh, I, I, I'm tired of waiting for the second coming for Jesus to return, and so I'm just going to live for the here and now. And so they just live lives of, as Pink Floyd said, lives of quiet desperation is the English way. They put it in Dark Side of the Moon. Don't know where that came from, but I thought I'd just quote it for you. You know, and, and you just kind of go, la, 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 la. You know, I'm, just, I'm not listening. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm just going to create a little oasis of the American dream, and me and my family are just going to do as best as we can because there's not, nothing we can do about anything anyways, and, and that's just how it's going to be. Now, maybe I'll, 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 I'll believe in Jesus, and I'll go to church once in a while, but my head's buried in the sand. I'm just going to live out the American dream as best as possible. What difference does anything make anyways? And then there are a lot of people who, as happened in the first century, uh, they, 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 they transfer their, 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 their faith, the fire of their faith, uh, to trusting in, in programs or in policies or in, in the military or in nations or in religion. And, and they say, we, 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 you know, we've got to take this world back for God and we'll use the sword if necessary. So you've got that religious zeal now and, and it's all transferred over to politics or whatever. But see, here's the lesson that we're to learn from Simeon and it's such an important, important lesson. It is this. The hope of the world doesn't lie in the programs or the policy or the procedures or the parties or the nations or the military, and it certainly doesn't lie in any religion. The hope of the world, my friends, lies in the one that Simeon was holding in his arms in that temple. The hope of the world lies in uh, the Lord's Messiah. Praise God. Amen. The hope of the world. You see... I can look at this world in all of its scary aspects, all of its terrifying aspects, and I don't know what's going to happen. I look at that, but you know what? I can live in perfect peace. I, I have concerns. I'm not saying I, you know, I don't, I'm, kind of, I'm not concerned about anything, but I have, a, I, have a, I have an unwavering peace inside of me. I can live in peace like Simeon, and I, I can die in peace. If I was going to die today, I'd, I'd die in peace. 
And the reason is because I don't have any, my trust isn't in the vicissitudes of history and the ups and downs of one nation over another or one party over another or one program over another. My hope is rooted in the one who Simeon called the sovereign Lord. The sovereign Lord. The one who holds the strings, praise God. The one who controls history. Now, he doesn't control every detail of history because people have free will and angels have free will and a lot of stuff happens in history that's not uh, his will, but he's the sovereign Lord of the whole. He's the creator of the universe. And I can live in peace and I can die in peace because my trust is in him. And he's made a promise to me. He's made a promise to you. And this God, the Bible says, he cannot lie. It's against his nature to lie. And his promise is that the consolation is coming. The consolation is coming. I can live in peace and I can die in peace because I know the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God of all gods, the one who's the Alpha, the one who's the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds the world in the palm of his hands. He's the sovereign creator of the universe who holds every molecule in existence right now. My trust is in him. And when your trust is in him, it brings peace. I don't see the consolation of the world no more than Simeon did. But I'm consoled knowing that the consolation is coming. The Lord's Messiah has come. His promise has begun to be fulfilled and my trust is in him. I may not see it with my eyes. I may not see evidence of it here and there. Nations will come. Nations will go. Terrorists will bomb and whatnot. But I know in whom I have believed. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 40, uh, he shall give him perfect peace whose eyes are stayed on him. Fix your eyes on the Lord's Messiah. Fix your eyes on the sovereign God of the universe. And it gives you perfect peace. Knowing the consolation is coming consoles the heart. It consoles the soul. It brings the peace that the world cannot give. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And neither do you. And the people who say they do know are, are bluffing. I, what's going to happen with this bird flu? It may mutate tomorrow and we could have an absolute catastrophe. I don't know what's going to happen with the bird flu. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with uh, the global warming. Don't, I don't have a clue. Don't, don't really have a clue. It's just speculation. I don't know what's going to happen with North, North Korea. I don't know what's going to happen with Iran. I don't know what's going to happen with Iraq. I don't know what's going to happen with Russia or China. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. The whole thing may tank tomorrow for all I know. I don't know diddly squat about the future and neither do you. And the people who try to d divine the future like a horoscope by trying to decode certain biblical paths to fit it all in. They're wasting your time and you don't need that. What you need is a faith and a confidence in the sovereign God of the universe. Amen. Anchor your hope on him. Hold the hope. Hold the hope. Trust in him. That's why Jesus says in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. It's all a matter of trust. If you find that you're having anxiety and fear, it's because your trust is in something else. Trust in him. Trust in him. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. He will come through. And let your hearts be in perfect peace. Jesus said some outrageous things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Matthew chapter 6. That's wild. But Lord, the bird flew. Yeah. Yeah, it will take care of itself. It may not be pretty, but you know what? Your hope isn't in uh, Tamiflu. Well, not that I'm going to get the Tamiflu out there, please. Uh, yes, but... But my hope's not in Tamiflu. Uh, my hope and your hope needs to be rooted in the sovereign Lord. The one who, he'll come through on his promises. He always does. May not be when we like and how we like, but he always comes through. This applies in terms of what you think about the flow of history, but it also applies on a personal level. Because um, sometimes we lose hope about our, our own future. I uh, spoke with a lady about a year and a half ago. Uh, I'll call her Jan. Uh, she's since moved from here, but 
uh, I had a talk with her, and, and she, she just had a desperate life. It was, she had a brain injury when she was a teenager, uh, some accident. And because of the brain injury, it, 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 it kind of screwed up the chemicals in her brain, so she had a chemically caused chronic depression, even suicidal depression. Uh, she had phobias all over the place. She had some compulsive tendencies. Um, and uh, because of those, those sort of disabilities, she tended to drive people crazy when she was around them. Uh, she was married for a short while, but her husband ended up leaving her because he just couldn't take it any longer. And uh, she tried to, she just had trouble doing relationships. Some people are like that, just can't do relationships and they end up driving people away from them. So her, her, her biggest pain was not just the depression, but she was incredibly lonely. It was incredibly lonely. And on top of that, she had been diagnosed with this degenerative arthritis, uh, which was increasingly causing severe pain in all of her joints. And the doctors said there's nothing they could do for it. They had medication that would alleviate some of the pain. But the problem was that that the, the medication for the arthritis interfered with the medication for her depression. So she had to make a choice. Either I can be in a lot of pain but not so depressed, or I can be very depressed but not in so much pain. What kind of a choice is that? You know, she was in really, you know, a, a, a bad, bad place. And she had gone to revivals and gone to different churches and gone to different faith healers uh, as, as, you know, that, that's an okay thing, trying to, to get healed. Uh, but it never worked. She just never was healed. And then, of course, you've got the religion specialists to come along and say, well, if you just would confess this and don't confess that and, and say this verse and, and rub this bottle and stand on your head and do these certain prayers, well, then you'll be healed or you ought to be healed if you really had faith or whatever. And that just further indicted her and activated her depression. And so we were talking this one uh, afternoon, and uh, I, I wanted to encourage you to not give up on pressing for the healing and praying and having people around her, for sure, for sure, absolutely. But the most fundamental good news I could give her was this. Uh, it won't always be like that. Now, I, you know, don't just sit around and wait for healing, you know, press for it, but, but the, the, the best news is that life is short, See, if you're a kingdom, people, a kingdom person, that's not bad news. Uh, and that, that it won't, the consolation is coming. Sometimes the best news you got is that this thing comes to an end. I, I, I find that kind of good news. Uh, and so I, I encouraged her in this way. I said, you know, you're living, we all live in a story that makes sense out of our life, a narrative that we imagine that, you know, that is the kind of the story of our life. And, and I said, Jan, your story starts with your birth and ends with, it, with your death in, in your mind now. That's how you see your story. And that's a very, very sad story, depressed and in pain and lonely. But I said, can you expand your story a little bit? Just run the video uh, ahead a couple of seconds. Run it ahead five seconds after you die. And does that change the story? Run it ahead five years, five trillion years after you die. And what do you see? You see... You won't always be like that, and that's good news. Well, what you need to see and envision this in full color with sound, see this. Um, uh, you're dancing with Jesus. Uh, he, he's your husband, and he's not going to leave. And your body is healed. There's no more pain. You are just, you, you, your body is the way God meant the body to be. You're in full health, and you're just dancing vigorously. You're doing the salsa with Jesus. And, and you're looking deeply in his eyes, and he's looking deeply in your eyes because you're so passionately in love. And you're not alone anymore because this is the kingdom of God, and it's all about community. So there are people all around you, and your brain's working right, and there's a joy unspeakable. And, and enter into that. That will happen happen God's promise that that is the goal that you're striving for now you don't see it yet but like Simeon your heart can attain a peace and a joy by entering into it right now 
You see, enjoy the fact that that consolation is coming. You may be mourning right now, but that mourning will come to an end. I promise you that. You may be in a lot of grief because of you lost loved ones, but I I promise you that whatever else happens in your life, I don't know what's going to happen in your future here and now, but but the consolation is coming. Grab, be consoled knowing the consolation is coming. Hold that hope. You may have a lot of things going bad. You may be uh, poor and oppressed socially right now, and, and by all means, we need to use whatever kingdom means we have to to rectify that situation but the most fundamental thing i could say to you is it won't always be like that no the consolation is coming you will be you will be liberated you'll be living in the full joy and the peace of god and don't wait five trillion years to begin to experience that enjoy that now be consoled now have that peace now enter into that now envision that now some people here struggle with chronic problems, cr- chronic you know, ailments, maybe it's psychological or addictions or what have you. And, and by all means, keep on working on that. But the most fundamental thing I'd say to you is this. It won't always be like that. The pain won't always be there. The depression won't always be there. The struggling won't always be there. The promise of God is that the consolation is coming. Hold that hope. Hold that hope. It's rooted in the character of God who cannot lie. Be consoled knowing the consolation is coming. You see, fast forward the movie in your brain five seconds after you die and enjoy that now. It makes all the difference in the world whether you frame the experiences of your life against the short 60, 70, 80, maybe 20 years you've got here on earth, maybe less. It makes all the difference in the world whether you frame it in the short story or the long story. Live in the long story. Be consoled knowing that the consolation is coming. Now, one more thing in six minutes, uh, which is the second point of my message. <laughs> I never budget time very well, do I? I'm just, I get too much in the moment. Uh, here's the second thing. Does that mean we're supposed to just sit around on our behinds waiting for the consolation to come? Oh, Jesus, he's going to come back anytime. In the meantime, let's just sort of sit around and wait. We'll just be religious waiting for Jesus to come. No! Are we just supposed to be passive? No. Now, here again, pay close attention to the text because it comes right out of the text. Simeon was pious, he was devout, because he, he obeyed God, and he uh, was waiting for the, cons- uh, for, for the, for the uh, uh, consolation. He was optimistic, he held out hope. And see, Christians are the one people on the planet who, who ought to be able to look at the world uh, in all of its stark reality and stay optimistic. Because I can tell you this, whatever happens with bird flu, the future looks very, very bright. Why? Because my trust isn't in Tamiflu, my trust is in the sovereign God of history. Okay, so Simeon held that hope. Simeon held that hope, but he didn't just wait around. He was a person who was obedient to the Holy Spirit. Now, now, now look at that. There's three things that this passage says about Simeon's relationship to the Holy Spirit. While he was waiting, some other things happened. Number one, the Holy Spirit revealed some things to him. Number two, the Holy Spirit was on him, it says, which simply means the Holy Spirit rested on him. It empowered him. Number three, the Holy Spirit directed him. When the Holy Spirit spoke, he listened and he obeyed. And because of that, see, the Holy Spirit led him into the temple. He says, oh, Simeon, okay, let's go to the temple. See, that's not just waiting. He's doing something. He goes there, and the Holy Spirit reveals to him that this is the Lord's Messiah. And then the Holy Spirit empowers him to give this prophetic prayer and this praise over the Lord's Messiah. And because he was obedient to the Holy Spirit while he was waiting for the consolation and, and optimistic about that, because he was obedient to the Holy Spirit, he was able to, the Holy Spirit orchestrated him to experience in the present what was going to be true later on. That is to say, because he was obedient to the Holy Spirit, he experienced the consolation before the whole world is consoled. He's waiting for the consolation, 
but he gets to participate in it now. In fact, he is used by God to help usher this kingdom, this consolation into the world. He gets to hold the Christ child. And see, this also applies to us. We're not supposed to just be passively waiting for Jesus to come back. We're supposed to be aggressively waiting. And we aggressively wait as we yield to the Holy Spirit. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, he, he wants a people who he can reveal things to that other people don't know about. He wants a people who can, are empowered in a way that other people aren't empowered. He wants a people that he can direct and lead like Simeon, uh, where other people aren't listening to him. And as we do that, he orchestrates our life to the point where he can now use us to help further bring in the consolation and salvation that this passage is talking about. So it looks like this. We don't just wait for the consolation and salvation to happen. We here and now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are to manifest the consolation and the salvation. And as we do that, we move the world inch by inch towards the final global cosmic consolation and salvation. So it's like this. Uh, someday we're told in, in Philippians 2 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But see, we don't wait for that to happen. We do it now. Uh, we, we choose as we sing. We choose to bow now. We confess now. And as we confess, and as we manifest the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord by what we say, by how we think, by how we live, God uses that to manifest the already amidst the not yet. What will be true later on is true in us already, and God uses the manifestation of that truth to bring others in on this whole thing, and that's what moves the world closer and closer towards the final consummation, towards the, the, the second coming. Someday there'll be no more sickness, and there'll be no more disease, and there'll be no more infirmities. Praise God. And my heart has peace knowing that that's going to happen. But I don't just wait for that wonderful day. No, we're called to here and now in faith and in by the power of the Spirit to pray against sickness and disease and infirmities. To see God manifest what will be true later on, we want to see it manifested now. That's why we pray for, for the healing and whatnot. Someday there'll be no more threat of bird flu. Which, now listen to this, which is why people who are led by the Holy Spirit to become doctors and researchers to find ways of eradicating viruses and bacteria and those kind of diseases, they're doing the will of God. We want to, as much as possible, manifest now in our own lives and as a community what will be, what, what, what will be true later on. Someday the love and the joy and the peace of God will define every square inch of creation, but we're not just waiting for that to happen. Yes, it gives us peace in our heart knowing that it will happen, but we don't just passively wait for that. Our job 24-7 as kingdom people is to manifest the joy of God now, to manifest the peace of God now, to manifest the character of God now. Someday there'll be no more racism. Someday there'll be no more hostility between people along national lines or socioeconomic lines or ethnic lines. Someday the kingdom will be united and the diversity of, of, of humanity will glorify God in its multifaceted beauty. But we don't just passively wait for that to happen. Our job, kingdom people, is to 24-7 manifest the already in the midst of the not yet. So we, amen, right now. Right now, our job is to live without any acknowledgement, without any recognition of the lines, uh, to live without any recognition of the walls, to just not pay attention to the walls and the divisions that are there, but rather to live radically and aggressively as bridges that bridge socioeconomic divisions and bridge ethnic divisions and bring nationalistic divisions, praise God, to manifest that individually and corporately, the already amidst the not yet. Someday there'll be no more violence in this world. 
Someday the, the, the creation will be entirely free of violence. But we don't just wait for that to happen. We have peace knowing that it will happen because we trust the sovereign God, not in programs and policies and parties and, and politics and nationalities and religion. No, no, no. But our job here and now, we trust God will do that. But right here and now as kingdom people, we're to manifest heaven on earth. God's will on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we do. And so we purge of our life, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. Everything in our thoughts, everything in our, in our words, everything in our actions that is violent, we put that aside. And, and instead of retaliating against our enemies, we love our enemies. We bless those who persecute us. We, we, we live now as though heaven had already happened. And as we do that, empowered by the Spirit, God, God uses that to move us closer and closer uh, to the coming of the kingdom. Someday... I got a few more things here that's coming to my mind. You know, someday, and this will strike some of you as odd, but listen, you read Genesis 1. Someday, the creation, human beings will be restored as, as the guardians of creation and, and the guardians of, of the animal kingdom. That was our first command in Genesis 1. Uh, we're, we're to be stewards of this earth and to reflect God's character by how we treat the, the creation and how, how we care for animals. But, and someday that will happen, but we're not supposed to just wait for that to happen. Right here and right now, we're to manifest God's original order for human beings. And so we work to have right relationships with, with nature, with the environment, and with animals. That's not some wacko liberal thing. It comes out of Genesis chapter 1. And we don't trust programs and policies and parties and nationalities and military or whatnot to have that happen. We just, in our own lives, commit to right now living in a way that, that reflects a right relationship to the world and to the animal kingdom. So Christians above all should be concerned with the environment and Christians should be concerned with the treatment of animals. That's the original mandate. That's how we manifest the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, someday, someday I got two claps on that one. I, you know, that's not your normal evangelical protocol, right? Uh, but I'm sorry, but it's very, very biblical. Someday the entire creation will manifest the character of Jesus Christ. But we don't just wait for that to happen. We should have peace that passes understanding, knowing that it will happen. But we don't just wait for that. In the midst of our peace, we aggressively seek to, by the power of the Spirit, manifest it now. We yield to the Holy Spirit. And as we manifest it, others are drawn into it, and the creation moves forward. It's not about the nations. It's not about the kings. It's not about the princes. It's about what the people who are aligned with the kingdom are doing. The mustard seed kingdom continues to grow one soul at a time. So I end with these two questions. Number one, is your heart troubled? Are you willing to accept the peace of God? If your heart is troubled, I assure you it's because some part of you just has trouble trusting the sovereign Lord. And your trust is in parties and politics and policies and nations and military and, and religion. Let go of those idols and grab, hold the hope of the Lord's Messiah. Let the peace that passes understanding be in you as you fix your eyes on him. Secondly, are you yielded to the Holy Spirit? Are you yielded? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you really open to being used by God to manifest the already amidst the not yet, to manifest the kingdom of God here and now? Just let the Holy Spirit check you on that. Let's clo- stand. And I'm going to end one more time by praying for the person on the right, person on the left. Grab their hands. 30-second prayer here. But every prayer makes a difference. 
If you're here this morning and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, do it while we're praying right here and right now. Father, we pray for the person on our right. Holy Spirit, seal this message in their mind and in their heart, driving out all fear and opening their heart to being moved on by the Holy Spirit that they could be a kingdom person that moves the world closer to the consummation of the consolation and salvation of the world. And Father, we pray for the person on our left. We pray blessing on them. Seal this word of truth in their life, Lord God. Kingdomize them in every way so that when they walk out of here, they're more thoroughly saturated with the kingdom than they were before they came, Lord God. Bless them in every way. And now, Lord, we, your people, commit to living for you radically. The already amidst the not yet, we, uh, we, we commit to manifesting the kingdom as we go out of this place to be light in a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Amen. The uh, altar is open if you want to come forward and receive prayer. invite you to do that. If you're here this morning and you're not surrendered to Jesus Christ or you just did surrender your life to Christ, come up here to my right and your left and a person will explain to you how to become a saved disciple of Jesus. No one's listening to me anymore, so God bless you. Have a good day. Love you. Bye-bye.